In the book of Psalms, for time's sake, don't turn there, but in Psalm 68, put this on the screen for you. The Bible says in verse 5 that God is a father of the fatherless. That's a reference to his place in the family. He's a defender of widows. What's a widow? Somebody who has lost that layer of protection. And God says, I'll step in. I'll be that for you. It's a place in the family. And this is what God is in his holy habitation. But go to the next verse. It says, God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But what's the next part say? But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. So what does God do with the solitary? He sets them in a family. Well, ask yourself this. What is a solitary person? It's somebody disconnected. Somebody that's not attached. Somebody living life on an island. And people are trying hard every day to make that work. But God is not good and he is not okay with you living isolated and disconnected. That's not his plan. That's not his will. And it hasn't been from like day one. Or I guess technically day three. When did he make Adam? <laughs> it was early on. And he made him. And he stepped back. And he said, not good. What? Not good that man should be disconnected. Solitary. This isn't good, he said. So from the very beginning, God has never been good with Adam or you or me or any of us living disconnected, solitary, isolated. He's not okay with that. So what he does is he takes the isolated, he takes the disconnected, he takes the solitary, and he sets them in a family, puts them in a family. And what is he saying to them? Now you're connected. And this is what thrills him so much. Not just you being a part, but being a part that's connected to another part. That's functioning as one body. This, this so thrills the heart of God. He so loves this that when you are in that family, and I want you to notice what's connected to it. It says he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. Evidently, your prosperity and mine is largely dependent upon us being in the family that he sets you in. What he's saying is, I'm putting you here, stay here. Oh, come on. I'm setting you in this family, but I'm expecting you to find your place in this family. I'm expecting you to operate in this family. I'm expecting you to bring a supply and a support to this family. I want life flowing to you and life flowing through you. Life's flowing to you through the other members of the family. Life's flowing through you out to those other parts. He sets the solitary in that family and if they'll stay there, they'll experience prosperity. But what did he say? The rebellious. They dwell in a dry land. Rebellious. I don't want to be part of this family. I don't like this family. I wish God had given me a different family. What did we read earlier? Stop being 
childish. Amen. Stupid family. I don't like this family. Yeah, well, it's the one it pleased him to put you in. Which means you've got something for them and they've got something for you. So what's God saying? You better stay there. I've hooked you up there. I'm expecting you to stay there. Now, if you want to rebel to that, you can, but the result is not prosperity. The result is you will dwell in a dry land. You know what a dry land is? Unproductive, doesn't yield any fruit. There's nothing that sustains life there. And if you're living in a dry land, you need to ask yourself, am I not hooked up where I'm supposed to be hooked up? Am I not, am I not connected where I have been divinely connected? People are looking for every other possible answer for prosperity. Well, maybe I haven't made the right investment. Or maybe I'm not spending my money wisely or saving my money. Well, maybe that's part of it. But God's got a way to get to you what you need. But so much of it is dependent on you and me being our part in the body connected to another part of the body. You know what these are called? Divine connections. Divine connections. And with just the couple of minutes that we've got left, I, I got so much more here, but I, you can come back, right? We'll get into it more later, but... I want to help you identify divine connections. Don't turn there, but the Bible says this in 1 Samuel chapter 18. You kind of got to know what was going on in chapter 17. It's when this guy named David fought this other guy named Goliath. And the guy named David, against all odds, won the fight. And at the end of the fight, he chopped off the head of Goliath. I feel like there's a message in there concerning the body as well. I don't know what it is today, but... (laughs) Just let it paint a picture. And David takes that head and he goes running through the camp with it, chases the Philistines, severed head in hand, screaming, shouting, chases them all the way back to the border, comes all the way back to town. Saul's looking for him, the king. He says, whose boy is that? I don't know. So they call him in before Saul. And here stands David with a severed giant's head. In front of the king. 17-year-old kid. You know he ain't letting go of that head. This is awesome, man. Look at, oh, it's so bloody. Look at that. This is amazing. He's standing there in front of Saul. And he began to tell Saul everything. Every, I'm, I imagine every detail of the battle or whatever. And it says in chapter 18, Now when he had finished talking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and wouldn't let him go back home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Did you catch what happened there? The soul of David was knit to the soul of Jonathan. 
These guys hadn't spent a lot of time hanging out. As a matter of fact, this is the first time they've ever met. And honestly, we don't even know if they've been properly introduced. David's just standing there, and there's something about him. Jonathan's like, this guy is awesome. There's something about the way David told the story. There's something about the way David gave God the glory. There's something about the courage that he fought with and, and, and the fearlessness that he, that he embodied. There's something about David and Jonathan's going, I like this guy. And the Bible says their souls were knit together. That doesn't just happen. That's divine. That's a divine connection. And through the course of time, we read that they made a covenant with each other. And Jonathan took off that robe. What robe is that? That's the robe of the son of the king. And he took off his armor. What armor is that? That's the armor of the prince. That's the armor of a very high-ranking official in this army. And he gave it to David. This wasn't just like, hey, man, you want this? No. This was a covenant exchange. This was, what this was was Jonathan changing David's whole identity. And it was elevating David. He took him from shepherd boy and gave him the status of son of the king. This is what a divine connection would do. It'll bring you up. It doesn't bring you down. It brings you up. It elevates you. That's what divine connections do. They elevate you. They bring you up. This is how you identify whether the relationship, relationship you're in is a divine connection or a man-made joining. Because God's not the only one knitting souls. We're doing it to ourselves sometimes when it's not his will. But how do I identify a divine connection? Are you being brought up? Is it elevating you? It gave David an increased favor with Saul, with his servants, and with all the people. Changed his whole identity. Another thing a divine connection will do for us, and what we really need to recognize about it, is that we are receiving from whatever we're connected to. You are receiving from whatever you're connected to. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this, and he said it over and over and over, abide in me, abide in me. That means maintain a living communion, connection with me. Stay with me. And he said, you have to abide in me because the branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. You are receiving from whatever you're connected to. I remember years ago, going to minister at a church in another state. We were traveling full time at, at that time. And it was an evening service, and I was in the hotel waiting for the pastor to come get me. And I'd gone downstairs to the lobby to wait on him. And I waited for several minutes and realized, after looking back at my text message from him, I'm early. I'm like almost a half hour early down here <laughs> waiting for him. But instead of going back to the room, I decided just to hang out. They actually had a little fire pit outside the hotel there. And nobody else was out there. It was a cool evening. So I went out and I just stood there, had my Bible, just praying in the Holy Ghost, talking to the Lord about the service. And right about that time, a car pulled up on the other side of that fence where the parking lot was. And actually two cars pulled up, and a young woman got out of one car, and she had two young boys with her. 
little older woman got out of the other car, and I saw the young woman give the boys to the older woman. I'm kind of putting all this together. There's the mom with the boys and the grandma. And so they come into where I'm standing, just, just the grandmother and the two boys. And they come up to the fire pit, and they're friendly. Hi, how are you tonight? Oh, good, thanks. How are you doing? And she saw my Bible in my hand. And she said, is that a Bible in your hand? I said, yes, ma'am, it is. She said, oh, are you a believer too? Not a Christian, a believer. You know how we just kind of have our own vocabulary and you just learn to recognize, yes, ma'am, I, I am a believer. Oh, wow, where do you go to church? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm in from out of town. I'm ministering at a church tonight and the hotel was about an exit away. You could nearly see it from, the, from where we were standing, the church. And I said, actually, we're just ministering down the street tonight at this church over here called the name of the church. And she goes, oh, yeah, we know that church. And she goes, as a matter of fact, we used to go there. We used to go there, which means what? We don't go there anymore. Now, she didn't seem upset. She didn't, it didn't make for an awkward conversation that I'm here to go to this church she used to go to. She seemed fine. And she goes, as a matter of fact, and she put her hands on the older of the two boys and said, as a matter of fact, he was healed of autism there. And the first thing out of my mouth was glory to God because healed of something you can't be healed of? Glory to God. And I just said it out loud, glory to God. But you know what my next thought was? You used to go there? You used to go to a place where your grandson got healed of something you can't be healed? You used to go? She told me the whole story about how it happened. Her daughter had come to church that night. And that night there was a guest minister come in from another part of the country, kind of like we've got coming next week. He came in that night, told his whole testimony of how his son was diagnosed autistic as a young boy, but they stood on the word, believed God. The Lord healed him and delivered him. His son graduated at the top of his class with honors, scholarship, and that young woman who had this, this young boy who had been diagnosed with autism, it's stirring faith in her. She comes running up to that guest speaker. This grandmother's telling me this whole thing. She comes running up to this guest speaker, tells him the whole thing. My, my son has never spoken. They told me he's autistic, and I just want God to heal him. And that man prayed for her that night. She went home, and the next day, her boy began, making, uh, began speaking. And from that day to the day I was standing there outside that hotel, the grandmother said, now he is speaking on exactly the age level he's supposed to be speaking on. And I'm going, praise God, praise God. But in the back of my mind, what am I thinking, church? You used to go there. See, you're receiving from whatever you're connected to. How many of you know that's a divine connection? There's life flow in there. But what was so interesting was she began to explain to me why they don't go there. I'm not asking any questions. She's just volunteering all this information. And she said, you know, we, uh, we just started studying some different things. We just started kind of down a different track. And she kind of said what it was. And I was familiar with it. And it's not like they weren't born again. Remember, she said, are you a believer too? You know what it was? A different doctrine. What did Paul say? 
that we'd no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Well, we just started studying this other thing, and then she was explaining it to me. And I noticed the more she explained the doctrine, the more intense she became to the point where she told me, and this was the kicker, this was what really got them, why they're not there, why they're over here now, and this was it. You ready for this? She said, Christmas is a pagan holiday. And that was it. This is what's got them all fired up and why they're no longer connected to a place where life was flowing to them because of some doctrinal thing and this big political, if you will, soapbox about the Christmas holiday. And by this time, she's preaching to me. And out of the corner of my eye, I see the pastor in the lobby. So I'm like, okay, well, God bless, thank you. She's like, look it up, look it up, Google it. Christmas is a pagan holiday, Google it. I was like, no, thank you. And I realized people are disconnecting from these God-ordained, God-made joinings, these divine connections. And like children, they're being tossed over here and tossed over there. Go ahead, begin, guys. We got to grow up. I said, we got to grow up. And the thought occurred to me yesterday, you know, I've read that for years. Don't be children anymore. And I thought about the emotional instability of children and the spiritual instability of children and, and all these things. And those things are true. But don't forget, he's talking about the body. You remember when your kids were little? They were about this big? Remember doing this? Whee! Right? Remember you could throw them up. You could toss them around. I mean, with my kids, I used to play this game on the couch. They'd lay on the couch. I'd grab them by the legs, and I'd flip them this way. And then I'd flip them the other way. And I, I don't write me your letters. They're fine. And I'd flip them another way. I'd flip them another way. And I could do that when they were three, four. Every once in a while now, my 10-year-old, Jesse, says, Daddy, flip me. I'm like, baby, there's no way. They were so easily tossed around. I remember playing in the ocean with them, throwing them into the waves, playing in the pool, throwing them up in the air. I can't do it as good anymore. That's my brother-in-law right there, Jordan, playing guitar. I can't throw him around at all. That's a full-grown man right there. Now when my son Justice, who's 12, he's like, Daddy, let's go wrestle. And I'm happy to let you know I can still handle him. I can, I can throw him around. It ain't nothing. But every time we do, I have this thought, there's coming a day. And every once in a while, I feel it. He'll whack me in the back, and I'll think, it didn't used to feel like that when you were four. There's coming a day when this boy's going to be a man and he will not be so easily tossed around. How many believe there's coming a day for us in this body? I'm not going to be easily tossed. Let every wind of doctrine blow. Let it kick up dust. Oh, you see the effects of it, but what is it? 
Huh? You stay rooted. You stay grounded. Because grown-ups aren't easily tossed around. We're not easily thrown about. When we make a connection, we protect it. And this is what I want to say to you in closing. Go ahead and stand up. So much more here. Divine connections need divine protection. Divine connections need divine protection. You and I are not the only ones that understand how powerful these connections are. Your enemy knows it. I said your enemy knows it. Which is why he's working day and night overtime to get in between you and whatever's bringing you life. To get in between you and the word of life that's coming to you. He knows that word's going to produce something for you. So if he can get in there and weasel his way in and start whispering in your ear, oh, you don't belong here. You don't have a place here. Nobody likes you here. You can't find friends here. What's he trying to do? Separate you from what's bringing you life. Divine connections need divine protection, which means you're going to have to guard against offense. And perhaps we'll talk more about this as the Lord leads us, but all offense is is separation. And when it tries to come into your life, and it tries, believe me, it tries, there ought to be a response so big and bold that comes out of us. I'm not leaving my place. I'm not losing my grace. God connected me here. He put me in this family. I ain't dwelling in a dry land anymore. I'm staying here. I don't care what it feels like. I don't care how somebody treated me. I don't care what the devil's saying to me. He can lie all day and night if he wants to. I'm not leaving my connection. This connection's divine. This connection is godly. There's life flowing to me. There's life flowing through me. And I ain't leaving. I said, I ain't leaving. Amen. Do you realize that your pinky toe is connected to your head? And you're like, wait, what? It is. It's connected to your head through a series of joints and ligaments and muscles, that toe is connected to my head. I don't care what place or part you are in the body, you are connected to the head, but it's through other parts. And if this toe were to get mad and say, I've had it, that's it. It gets mad at the joint because they're together all the time. You know, sometimes there's some friction. That's it. I'm out of here. I don't like this joint. I don't like this knuckle. I don't like this knucklehead. I'm out of here. If somehow that toe were able to disconnect itself, it thought it just connected from the part it was connected to. But what it did was disconnect itself from the head where life is flowing to. Divine connections need divine protection. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. 
You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.